0: Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Thursday, March 7th, and we have convened once again the meeting of the minds. Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli. Gentlemen, how are we doing today?
2: We're great. We're good. good. Yeah, this is uh, spring practice uh, is, is is popping right now, I think, for a lot of teams. Um, and the Combine's behind us. And now we're, we're right in the, in the thick of, of post-Combine anonymous sources season. Oh. I miss the
0: Combine.
1: Do you. It's good. Tom loves the combine I love the combine
2: I love the combine too what do you love about the combine
0: I love watching the combine I like watching the players do the drills and getting a better idea that you know you don't always see on tape some things like there there were some surprises during the combine last week that I wasn't expecting to see like I knew Montez sweat was fast but he did a lot better in like the you know like the shuttle drills and the cone drills than I was anticipating. Because sometimes on the field he looked a bit stiff in the hips when it came to changing direction. But he looked much better during the combine. Just stuff like that.
2: Ante Sweat, sweat we thought was fast. We believed was fast, but I did not know he was the fastest defensive line in the history of it, the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> like that's he said. The like, can you imagine walking out of the combine and all the freak athletes that have gone there, and you're the fastest. Ever at your position? Wow! And you're six foot six, 260 pounds.
0: And another huge, another huge takeaway that I enjoyed from watching the combine was just to show how much the game is changing. Like when I watched the tight ends do their drills and like the blocking drills, there were maybe three tight ends that had any idea how to block, like mm-hmm. as far as technique is concerned. <laughs> Everybody else was running around with like chicken wing, chicken wing legs and arms. It's like, what are you doing? Was T.J. Hawkinson one? Long?
1: Yeah, was oh, T.J. Hawkinson yeah. one of the only ones that knew how to block? Of, of course. Yeah, and, your, your boy. And it's
0: funny too because Noah Fant, who is not a great blocker at all, was one of the ones that actually knew the technique. Doesn't mean he's any good, but at least he had the technique, right? It's like you could tell which tight ends were coached to block, and then which ones were just out there running routes. And that's why T.J. Hawkinson,
2: I think, is is. Sort of being penciled into the, the the first round as the first tight end off the board because he he can block even though he's not quite the freak of Noah Fant, but he's still really athletic. But it, you're right in that like the tight end position, if you look at the, who's drafted, certainly last year I, I haven't gone back beyond that, but just in recent history, like all, all it is is a glorified receiver. It's just yeah. a it's a it's a a hybrid receiver. It's just a a, a mismatch on the slot. And they don't even. It, it's it's like blocking is just sort of a, a bonus if you can get that.
1: We will get to. Uh, we got we got some more combine takes to unfurl. I got a lot th- of I got
2: a lot of combine stuff. To, to Me too. To we got we <laughs>
1: uh, before we empty the notebooks. Uh, a college football headline, which is which is brought about um, two two different sides of this. the The news is that Florida State will have nine on-field assistants instead of 10 on-field assistants. And that is because if that 10th assistant comes and is an on-field assistant, that 10th assistant being David Kelly, um, then all of a sudden it would make a few of Florida State's players ineligible. And this is because of the individual associated with the prospect rule passed in 2016, which is was initially put in and Barton uh, because his ventures into the recruiting world, Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll, I'll ask you first, but I, I believe that this was put in place to prevent essentially just the, the old Danny Manning thing, where it's like you're hiring the high school coach to guarantee uh, that the player commits, and so you create a two-year window where in, a, in order to be an on-field assistant, if you've had an association with the prospect, two years has to pass before you go to the school where that prospect is at. Am I correct? Correct.
2: That's right. I mean, it's it's it is, it is implemented so that you're just not creating like Alabama could just create like an endless number of analyst jobs and not everyone has the budget to do that, obviously. And it also creates just some um, just a little bit of a seedier environment if you're just saying, hey, as long as as long as we signed your player, you can come be our uh, fifth offensive quality control guy and, and so that's fine if you want to hire a guy and also recruit his player but if you're going to hire him and also recruit his player you have to hire him as an on-field assistant so technically florida state still has 10 on-field assistants david kelly has to be an on-field assistant the the, the point is he can't go off the field but oh. they just hired they just hired their wide receiver coach so they've got Two wide receivers coaches. They were expected to win the appeal to get David Kelly off the field. They can't. So now they're just stacked up on wide receiver coaches. But David Kelly's role is still going to be uh, recruiting coordinator. So it's just this is like a redundant receivers coach position, and they've got one less staff member elsewhere to to insert where they insert as needed in another role. So they have got three and a half defensive guys. And five offensive guys, and because they got a special teams coordinator, and so it's just a, it's sort of a less than ideal position. But and this this is this is my take. And look, I, I before this took place, I have talked to coaches in the past that are sort of amused about the idea of all right, we're going to tenth assistant. We've we've already been coaching with nine. We can we can get it done with nine. So. In that 10th assistant role, maybe that's what instead of having this off-field director player personnel role where he's got to sort of coordinate recruiting operations, send guys out on the road, watch tape in the back room, maybe that guy is an on-field assistant now. We call him an on-field assistant. He doesn't actually coach a position. He doesn't even have to be at practice. In fact, during the season, during an evaluation period, he can go out on the road and evaluate all week. He can be hitting schools every day while everyone else in the country has to be bogged down in game planning, um, practice, um, preparing their team. You can have a guy that's just basically a scout that hits the road and, and is, is actively recruiting while everyone else, while because... As it stands now, an off-field guy can't get on the road. You you have your ten assistants, and those are the only guys that go on the road, including your head coach during the the appropriate windows. But those guys can't do it. There's just there's just too many other things they they're doing. So if you have a guy now that you trust as an evaluator, that you trust as a relationship builder, and you're just and you're just going to let him loose during the season when everyone else has their other obligations, that could be. I think an enormous advantage to the point where other people have actually considered doing it. So I, this this wasn't what Florida State's intent was initially, but now that this is sort of what they've been backed into, I, I actually think when you look at it from a recruiting perspective, this could be a huge advantage. And if it's played, if it's if it's properly handled this season, it could be something other teams emulate moving forward.
0: It's a new because market inefficiency. Hmm. Yeah.
2: So I mean, like Michigan State, and I haven't sort of checked in on how this has played out. But Michigan State, when they got the tenth assistant, they didn't add a position coach. They added a, a freshman head coach, who basically was tasked with player development in the freshman class. And I assume that, that position is still um, active, and they haven't sort of bailed on that. I would be curious, you know, how that's gone the first year and a half, two years, whatever it's been now. Um, but I mean, there's there's creative ways to use that tenth assistant, and this is one I haven't seen happen yet. But I, I think this is a really interesting opportunity for Florida State. So, all right. So, I guess
1: I you know once I move past my initial reaction of cracking a joke about Willie Taggart being light on defensive assistance, ha 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 ha. Um, <laughs> I think that I, I think that if there's any team that needs to cr- find a market inefficiency. It's Florida State. And I can't help but, um, you know, I can't help but listen to the prediction or the possibilities that you lay out, Barton, and think that it's like, man, well, like Florida State has to close an enormous gap with Clemson right now in order to get back to a position where Florida State fans and the Florida State leadership at the school are going to feel like the football program is in a healthy spot. I mean, in, until they win an ACC championship, I don't think that, that the Seminoles are going to be satisfied. And it does – that team, that roster, that the, the group that's in that building and started spring practice this week with James Blackman and not much else in the quarterback room uh, with – you know a, a roster that still has whatever the psychological and emotional scars of the last 2 years are i think that i think that florida state could perhaps benefit from any advantages that it might be getting right now
2: yeah i mean granted the, the bigger issue like this isn't this this really isn't the ideal program for this to be taking place with because you know this is the problem isn't players we don't think i mean i guess it could be but the problem is the product on the field, and I think kind of coaching seemed to not really be the best last year. So I don't know. This is this feels like a you know a program that would be better served to, to have as know, many
1: coaches as possible <laughs> working coach on them.
2: The, coach them up. I mean, you're you're going to get players at Florida State to some degree no matter what. So I think there's other programs that would guinea pig this and more effectively uh, i think florida state could could use them on the field help but hey now that they've they backed into this situation um it still could serve them well
0: yeah, and, and the other thing about this too is regardless of the actual impact it has on the team's performance on saturdays if florida state struggles this year this will be something that a Good portion of the fan base says it's to blame for yeah oh, we would We'd be winning games if we had that 10th real on field assistant
1: like Barton. I'm glad you laid out exactly what the deal was, because I obviously didn't have all of my details in order. And I feel like most of the Florida State fans don't even have their details in order. It just looks right on the surface as yet another bad Florida State football headline. Just just pile it on. Our, our our, pets' heads are falling off. We can't get our paperwork right. I mean, it, it looks well, bad. It, I mean, it
2: was mismanaged. Like, like, they hired a receivers coach under the assumption that they would win this waiver for the other receivers coach to go off the field. And they didn't win the waiver. And so it was mismanaged. Like It's yeah. still not a good look on Florida State. It just happens to be a bad look that they can parlay into a positive if handled appropriately, and and I, I tweeted that, and and even like Florida State fans were like responding to my tweet, being like, "Keyword if handled appropriately." Like, there's not a lot of oh among even the Florida State <laughs> <base>, Florida State fan <laughs> base that it will be, uh, but know yeah, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that's it's it's just an opportunity.
0: Maybe maybe instead of applying for a waiver for a tenth on-field assistant, they should apply for a waiver for a sixth offensive lineman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, all right, let's 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 get back. Let's get our skimpies on. Uh, put on our, our combine unitards, and I, I want to begin with the headline stealer because as we opened up our our last episode, not re-legislating, but definitely taking a, a fresh look at Kyler Murray, and I'm sure that we've got some more. You know, now that it's anonymous scout season, we've got some more Kyler Murray, um, some more Kyler Murray angles to unpack later uh, later in the show. But I got to begin with. Uh, DK Metcalf because few not few I guess every combine has a, a, a player like this but few have had have, have had the resonating impact that I can remember in terms of just being an absolute star of the combine like DK Metcalf where he's wowing everybody with uh, the agility drills he has the speed he has the the hype I guess um with the photos coming in. He had a social media presence because everyone saw what this guy looked like without his shirt on. And it's led to two reactions. There's the the fans of the combine that see this freak athleticism and and absolutely are wowed by it. And then you go back and, and the people who covered Ole Miss in college you know pointing out his uh his total number of catches across three seasons that his production does not necessarily equal that of some of the other wide receivers he's compared to so i i mean where where do we want to start with this tom i know that you you're real strong on dk metcalf because you you held up the uh you sent us in the group chat the the, the what's the breakdown
0: yeah the chart it's the mock draftable like radar chart right there's You mentioned people were wowed by his, his athleticism, but they were wowed for the wrong reasons. They were wowed in the wrong way. It's like when you look at how he performed just as far as his height, his weight, his wingspan, all that kind of stuff, and then his ability in the 40-yard dash, the vertical jump, broad jump, bench press, he was a freak of nature. Oh, yeah, Aside from-
1: agility was where it was bad. That's what I meant yeah. to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. Aside from his height and hand size, when it comes to percentiles of where he performed, of all the, you know, the receivers that have ever done these drills at the Combine, he's in like the 95th percentile or better in weight, in wingspan, in arm length, in the 40, in the vertical jump, in the broad jump, in the bench press. He's in the 99th percentile as far as wide receivers are concerned. But then you get to his performance in the three-cone drill and the 20-yard shuttle, which are just essentially – Drills put together to test your agility, your ability to change direction and not lose speed, that kind of stuff. In the three-cone drill, he was at 7.38 seconds, which is in the second percentile Mm. all time. In the 20-yard shuttle, he was at four and a half seconds, which is in the third percentile for wide receivers. So essentially, what it boils down to is based off of his performance at the Combine, DK Metcalf is the greatest athletic freak of all time. Unless he has to change direction. So he's kind of like if you if you want to put it in racing terms He's not a nascar because he can't go left, but he's an amazing drag racer
2: I saw somewhere where his best NFL comp is Defensive and outside linebacker. Josh sweat (laughs)
0: like yes, yeah when you like. when you do mock drafts comparables with based on their performances in these, and you just do it based on not position, just on athlete, his top three comps are former Georgia edge rusher Lorenzo Carter, Florida State edge rusher Josh Sweat, TCU edge rusher Ben Benogu, and Florida State edge rusher Brian Burns. And then after that, it's linebacker Jacob Pugh. Before you finally get to another wide receiver in current Iowa State receiver Hakeem Butler.
1: <laughs> I think like. that says a lot about Burns. No, I'm yeah. just kidding.
2: <laughs> yeah, like those guys are all freaks for for sure. And I, and so look, I'm with you, Tom. Like this is you have if you're listening to this podcast, you have joined the Contrarian Podcast and the Contrarian perspective on DK Metcalf. I I think, and he is on everyone's winners list of the combine. I think he was a loser in the combine. I think he was. I think he would be better off had he not gone to the combine at all. We. know he's a freak we know he's fast and we can we know he can run a straight line you know it that he ran a 4-3-3 as opposed to maybe a 4-4-5 which is sort of what maybe I envisioned for him like yes he is he is even freakier in linear movements than I had expected what I didn't know about DK Metcalf and what I suspected about DK Metcalf was that he couldn't move laterally. he couldn't change directions. He doesn't run routes. He runs no. hitches he run, and goes
0: he runs and, nines.
2: And, the, and he's really good at that. He is really good at running downfield and making plays. He is and an Ole misses offense, that's all he's asked to do and so it's great. Um, but can he run a route? can he be a, can he change direction? can he throttle down? And and transition and based on the and, and like the three cone drill and the short shuttle are the two measures that we that that we have as far as insight into that. And he is really not not just like below average. He's bad at them. And so now the the thing we thought he could do well, he did do well. Yes, but the thing we didn't know whether he could do well or not, he is is horrible at. And so I, I'm really fascinated to see where he gets picked because. Look, I, I still like he's he is a big enough freak that he he there is a role for him in an offense. Like I'm not saying the guy's not good. I'm not saying there's not a you know there there is a stretch the field uh, role for a wide receiver in any offense. It's just I don't know that he is the first the first round draft pick that people want him to be based on those measurables because I don't think he's a complete receiver. He's never been a complete receiver before. He's always been a tight athlete. He, he's he's had injury issues. Which I think are could be um, related to being this like wound up tight linear athletes, and I I just think this was it. I'm, I'm I'd be really interested to see whether those concerns of lateral movement are gonna. Make him drop, or whether someone just likes enough for that straight line, big bodied, vertical threat to to take him in the first round. But I I'm I I, I scratch my head when I see him mocked in the first round because I just I don't see him as a complete receiver.
0: So what? I, oh, go ahead, Tom. I have him. At, I have him going to Buffalo at number nine in my mock draft, simply because if you have Josh Allen as your quarterback, who's the perfect receiver for him? But the guy, big arm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's. I think, you know, Daniel Jeremiah said during the combine, I think it was Jeremiah, he said that, you know, Metcalf could afford to spend a little less time in the weight room and more time in a yoga studio. And I think that's a love very DJ. Great call point. But it's I, I think the one thing about Metcalf is, is I agree with everything Barton just said about his flaws and what he definitely needs to work on and what the concerns are. It's just if there's any reason for me to be optimistic about it, it's if you look at the kid and you look at his body you know he's willing to put work in. So if you draft him and you could use him for what he's good at now, if he's as willing to work on his game as he is to work on his body – I think that he's somebody that a few years from now you can mold into a very useful wide receiver if he could stay healthy. And again, that's always going to be a red flag with him based on his injury history. But because like he really doesn't know how to run routes, but he's far from the only receiver that's going into the NFL these days who mm. doesn't really know much about the route tree or at least how to run it. Because as we see with spread offenses now. A lot of these guys come into the NFL having run pretty much three routes their entire college career because that's all they were ever asked to do. And they have to learn a lot more about the position. So he's not the only player with that knock on him. And I just think that when you look at the the other measurables, there's obviously a lot about him that's enticing. But he's he's not going to be like the comparisons that I saw during the combine while he was running were to Julio Jones, right? He is not, nor is he (laughs) likely ever going to be Julio Jones. They have the same kind of size, but Julio Jones has been a freak athlete for God knows how long. He, you know, there were never questions about whether Julio Jones can go left or right or run a route. Everybody already knew he could do that. So those are crazy comps when you see them.
2: Yeah. So just know what you're getting. Like if you're all right, if you're going to spend a first round draft pick on him, you know, I think you're gonna you're not going to get a guy that busts. You. You. But I don't don't expect to be getting Calvin Johnson, or Julio Jones. You just you're no. not getting that. I, I think, I think there's better receivers in this draft, and he's probably a safe pick because we know, without question, he can run a nine route and he can go up and get a football and 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 he can stretch a defense. But just don't feel super confident that he's going to be able to provide all the other. Um, characteristics that you want in the number one receiver
1: so what who, who are the other guys that was that was I'm glad that you mentioned uh your mock draft Tom. let's let's throw out mock draft and and where we think DK Metcalf might go but among the white draft eligible wide receivers as a matter of uh personal preference personal taste or your own decision making put on your GM hat how how many wide receivers do you think there are that are a better option for drafting than DK Metcalf in this class
0: Right now, I would prefer—I would prefer Kelvin Harmon, who did not have a great combine. I don't think overall, but I just watching the tape. I just feel—I feel more comfortable in what Calvin Harmon knows, what Calvin Harmon can do. I like Nikhil Harry more. I like—you know—I kind of like, you know, like his—I like Metcalf's teammate AJ Brown a little bit more. It's yes,
2: AJ, AJ Brown is a better receiver than DK Metcalf. Yeah, and it's crazy that he kind of went like no one's. I haven't heard his name whispered like during the combine week, but he's. I mean, he's a better receiver than DK Metcalf. He's he's not as quite as big of a freak, but he's still you know 226 pounds
0: and ran a what four four nine. Yeah, I mean that's he's not slow. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's it's just I mean, and then he's got work that he's not perfect, but I wouldn't mind either. Like Paris Campbell who had a great combine just for his speed. But I feel like, with what we see with like slot receivers in the NFL and what the, the kind of impact they're having now where you know a lot of teams are moving their best receivers inside to the slot, I feel like Paris Campbell's the kind of dude who can come in and have a very quick impact for you in that slot role, just <laughs> running by dudes that have no hope of keeping up with him. So I, I think that DK Metcalf has a very high ceiling based on what we've seen from him. It's just his floor is a lot lower than a couple of these other guys too. I mean, I think that... I I put Metcalf in the same kind of caliber with Hakeem Butler, where they're both giant people who have freakish ability to maybe high point the ball in traffic. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to make them complete players in the NFL. And it's it's so much different going against college cornerbacks and defensive backs than it is in the NFL. And you've got to be more well-rounded to really be successful in the NFL. Uh, i don't
2: know if this guy is better than dk Metcalf i would i would have to dig into the film a little bit to speak like confidently but if you're talking about a guy that that actually killed the combine and and improved his stock i mean miles Boykin at Notre Dame had a phenomenal combine
0: mm-hmm. like
2: he was six three and a half he was 220 pounds he ran four four two four, i was zero,
0: shocked zero. by his 40.
2: 43 and a half inch vertical which is like one of the best ever at receiver he like he is a bona fide freak I don't I didn't know he was a bona fide freak and I, I think I don't know if I'd take him over DK Metcalf but like he is a more balanced athlete than you, without question um and a guy I think could have sort of worked himself into a number one receiver conversation not you know number one receiver on a team conversation.
1: And if you're the GM, yeah. I mean, and, and like this sort of comes back to some of our conversation from the last episode, which was fantastic. You should go back and download it if you haven't already, but there's so many good players at other positions that if you're starting to talk yourself into a miles Boykin or a Nikhil Harry, then forget using that pick that you've got on DK Metcalf go elsewhere because you know that you've got uh, other players that have maybe even higher floors in lower rounds.
0: Yeah. And I don't think we're going to see like a ton of receivers go in the first round this year. I'd say like three to four at most.
1: That still feels like a lot for first round picks.
0: It does, but that's just with the way the game's going Mm. where the passing game is becoming more and more important every year. Everybody's always looking for a receiver. So
1: I I think that's why I can't be a draft expert because I don't, I don't, I've decided not to let my brain uh, try to factor in like the value of the player based on like where the game is going. I I don't know. I think, I, I really believe this ninth defensive lineman is the better player. Let's go. <laughs> hey,
0: there's there's, you know, you could win games just by drafting the best player.
1: I believe that that's how you won our transfer portal draft was just by drafting linemen. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, but it, we'll go ahead. The miles Boykin, I, I was like, you, I was shocked by his 40 speed just based on the way Notre Dame used him. I had no idea he was that fast. Because I feel yeah. like the only route Notre Dame ever had him run was like a sideline route. He'd run, he'd, he'd run ten yards and do like a quick out, and then Ian Book would hit him on the sideline. He'd toe tap, and that that was pretty much the extent of what Notre Dame ever had him doing. He had some go
1: up and get it though. He, yeah, yeah. I think like, I th- but, I think that him having a good vertical uh, probably doesn't surprise me based on some of my favorite plays that I saw Miles Boykin have. But the how did is is this one of those things that goes back to Um, Barton, I think at times during this season, and I know that you've made some trips up to South Bend, so you got to see it in front of your eyes. I feel like you've been complimentary about Notre Dame's strength and conditioning program here for maybe since the off season.
2: I think it's the biggest single shift. Like when, when, after we went four and eight, there was a staff revamp. They hired a new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator. I think those were were good hires. The, the, the staff turnover was all positive. But I think the single most important shift was the strength and conditioning program. And that that's, I mean, we're going to have some strength and conditioning awards in a little bit. But, that, you know, I think that Miles Boykin, in addition to Jerry Tillery um, and Alizé Mack and I, I think a bunch of Notre Dame guys had good days. I think those all validate what we've seen on the field in terms of the just the they're they're developing their players. They're you know, I, I think the and even chat, um, Brian Kelly's even said this, you know, the the Clemson loss is different than the Bama loss in 2012. Um, they are a lot closer right now than they were in 2012 to being able to compete with Clemson and Alabama. And I think it's because of their strength and conditioning program, and those guys are look—they're you know, showing up at the combine, and the Notre Dame guys are—they carry some weight now. And so I think Miles Boykin is a is a great representation of that because look, he was athletic in high school, but he was he was not considered this sort of a freak, and so it, it was a good piece of clay to work with. But he has clearly gotten better and more athletic in Notre Dame.
1: Good piece of clay to work with. It's good stuff. All right, let's get into those strength and conditioning awards coming up right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So really, um, you know, while we are judging the individual prospects and while the, the players when they're in college, they've, they've got some responsibility to, to take care of their own bodies and get themselves uh, into the shape of a finely tuned athletic machine by the time the combine rolls around. Uh, what we see out of these prospects in their testing and in their hard numbers is, in a way, a reflection on uh, the strength and conditioning programs where they had spent their last three to four seasons, so we're uh we're we're gonna give out some some gold stars. Maybe we're gonna have some uh, some needs improvement handed out as well. Uh, Barton, I'm, I'm gonna let you start. Where's uh where what school or program you think uh, had a had a good day? We'll start positive or a good combine week based on how their prospects and former players performed.
2: Uh, well, Notre Dame, we've talked about. I think that's. I mean, uh, Matt Bayless is a strength coach there. I think again. There's, there's no question that that's been a uh, a clear shift in the trajectory of that program, and they, they killed it. I, I think another one that is obvious from this combine, and it's and, and in general. I mean, he is one of the great ones in the game right now. It's Mickey Marathi at Ohio State. Um, Ohio State guys crushed it. I mean, from the receivers and Paris Campbell and, and – Terry McLaurin uh, um, and another one that killed it. I think uh, Johnny Dixon ran well to the defensive lineman um, to defensive backs. I mean, they, everyone that Ohio State had in that combine pretty much was like one of the best at their position. Uh, and so, you know, they're recruiting. and It's a little bit. I mean, it's always tricky to measure strength coaches. I mean, Ohio State's getting some of the best players in the country, um, but they are also seem to be maximizing them. And this isn't this isn't a, an outlier year for them either. I mean, this is they're always sort of some of the best in the combine. So I think making Murati, Murati had a good day. I mean, we always talk about Dwight Gall at Penn State. Um, this wasn't quite the sort of demonstrative year for Penn State in the combine, but you know they had their guys that still did really well. But I think I think you know Notre Dame. And and Ohio State were the two that were sort of the most obvious to me that jumped out.
0: and, And what's funny about Ohio State is everybody had such a great day that Nick Bosa, who has been, you know, mocked so many times as number one in mock drafts for the last year. Who had a good combine himself it's just you didn't really hear a ton about Nick Bosa when it came to talk about Ohio, Ohio State because everybody was talking about like what the receivers did and what other guys did how impressed they were that Nick Bosa of all people kind of became an afterthought when it came to Ohio State but an- another team I think that had a great combine I think Michigan did I think that guys like Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush had fantastic performances at the combine which you know goes to show and then uh the cornerback David Long I think is his name yeah yeah, he had a, he had a good performance. I'm, I mean, Deion Sanders was you know very complimentary of David Long. He loved him simply because when they were doing back pedals, he said, "This Long kid's the only one here that has, a, has even knows how to back pedal correctly." <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just I, I think that they I, I'd have to give their strength and the conditioning some some props for I feel like the performances because Rashawn Gary I knew Rashawn Gary was a good athlete, but just based on how they used him at Michigan and in the role that they had in play and then seeing him at the Combine and seeing how quick and all these other things that he really is it kind of like caught me off guard by it. it's like oh yeah, that's right, this dude actually is an athletic freak, he was just kind of used in a different role.
2: And there were some athletic freaks in high school, because Gary was an athletic freak in high school too, and so, and so you know, you kind of like, don't even give him that much credit for testing well, it's like well shoot, the guy was freaking born with it, he was look what he's doing, it's, it's a 17 year old but, you know, Byron Cowart was an athletic freak in high school too, and he's at the bottom of the, uh, all, all the results. Um, Chuma Doga uh, at USC was an athletic freak who got significantly worse in college. And I don't know what – I mean, we've, we've dogged on USC strength program a lot and for good reason, uh, but probably some of the players get deserve some of the blame for not developing as well. Um, Terry Beckner was an athletic freak, I, and he, he tested poorly, relatively speaking, just sort of an average testing day for Terry Beckner. But also, you know, he had two knee surgeries over the course of his college career. I think you can kind of blame that a little bit. So I think Rashad Gary sort of living up to his freakish, you know, reputation is is a testament to him and and the strength program as well. But I thought Devin Bush was one of the real like high school Devin Bush was undersized and and we thought he was athletic, but he ran a four six something I think in high school. Like he wasn't a freak athlete. We didn't think and. I, I did not realize that Devin Bush was going to put up 40-inch vertical, 4-4-2-40, and yeah. do the things that he did. Like, he is – Devin Bush and Devin White, to me, talk about, like, first-round picks. Like, those, uh, those guys are Hall of Fame football players. Like, I just think, like, with, with the mentality that they have, the personality they have at the linebacker position, and now the athleticism that they've got, too, like, I – I know that this sort of is hyperbolic, but, like, I think those guys are Hall of Fame football players. Like, I think those guys are as safe of a first-round draft pick as there is in this draft.
0: Yeah, I think they're like in that Roquan Smith mold last year where they're kind of just absolutely capable of doing everything you need a linebacker to do now. As far uh, as covering and helping in the run game, just all that stuff. But I I have a question for you, though, Barton, based on what you saw these kids out of high school because you'd have a better idea. Going in the opposite direction, a player that I was very just, like, unimpressed by during drills what was florida's cc jefferson like coming out of high school
2: yeah that's a good i mean i mean he he's a he's turning into kind of a bit of a bust uh as i remember it he was just he was like one of the first guys on the scene got all the early offers um i think you know he we felt like he was really athletic uh and yet i don't I don't know that we how much sort of testing we got on him. I don't know how much, much verifiables we ever had on him. But he was a he was just sort of the early hype guy that that, that wrote it. And look, he's probably gonna get drafted. But yeah, he was
0: he was not impressive. I yeah, because watching him in like all the individual drills, it was just I was like, wow. <laughs> this is these are not good it's like the, the just from his technique his fundamentals and just from the overall performance it's like i didn't really see anything that he did above average you know what i mean
1: yeah but that's so, that's not surprising to me when you think about how he was uh highlighted as a, a star prospect a, a, like a national signing day commit on the the national broadcast kind of guy and you bring him in he gets some spot snaps early in his career but during his time in Gainesville he was slowly but surely just overtaken again and again like whether it was Jabari Zaniga or whether it was uh polite like there there were better Florida defensive linemen better Florida pass rushers than CC Jefferson on almost every team that CC C. Jefferson was on like to me that disappointment set in pretty early
2: like I'm not sure if I ever saw C.C. Jefferson in person in high school personally, um, and I remember like at some point, like realizing he was only six foot two or something, and as opposed to more of the the prototypical six foot four types, and and I think over the course of his career at Florida, like his lack of fit, like it just he just doesn't have the physical tools of a sort of five-star type of prospect. And I think that's where the miss was on that evaluation on our end. And it's, it's played out. Like he just constantly is just hadn't quite been freaky enough to, to maximize things. Um, so he's probably a late round pick at best. And, and speaking of, I mean, Jakai polite didn't help himself much no. at the combine either. Um, no. but I, I, another, and, you know, you mentioned Nick Bosa earlier. He ran a four seven nine forty, but he had really good testing numbers elsewhere and he had a mm. you know, like a four one four shuttle. So like a four seven nine forty is not freaky, but it's fine. Um Quinn and Williams had a four eight three forty. And it made me think about like why I mean, it's looking like Kyler Murray's probably the number one pick, and we should probably have a Kyler Murray discussion here today too at some point. No. But <laughs> but Quinn and Williams at four, 340 with the and and that's not why you should draft him, but it's sort of an like he's not some overachieving high motor defensive lineman. He also has very freakish traits, and he had as productive a season playing the best teams in the country as anyone we've seen in a long time at defensive interior. Why isn't Quentin Williams like of? Uh, number one, why is everyone just penciling and boasting? Like, could I think be. Williams may be yeah. the best player in the draft.
0: Yeah, no, he he definitely one million percent could be because he's one of those guys. It was like going into the combine, I didn't care how he tested. <laughs> I watched yeah. him play. It was right. one. It was one of those situations like I've I've seen him play. I've seen him play against you know the top players in college for the you know it's. I have no question about this guy. I don't. If he ran like a five second forty, I would not have just chalked it up to a bad day and said, who cares? No, it's, he, he's an absolute monster and he could end up being the number one pick depending on how things go, or he could be the first non quarterback picked anyway, because it's his ability. And I feel like, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, chip with like how wide receivers are more valued now than they had been in the past. I think that a lot of interior defensive linemen get devalued simply because of what the pass rush means now where people want that they're looking for the next great pass rusher that could help them get to the quarterback on a rookie deal most of all. So I think a lot of times guys like Quinnen Williams and even Ed Olivers, dudes that are in the Insider, maybe Jeffrey Simmons and other guys in this draft who I think will be very productive NFL players, they get overlooked simply because what they do and what they do for your defense in the middle of it on that line is isn't as highly valued as it used to be as far as being you know a run plug or disruptor from the inside but i think quinn and williams could be a lot more than just a run stuffing defensive tackle i think you could depending on your scheme you could line him up at different places on your line and he'll be able to get in the backfield to stop a running back or just hit your quarterback or just blow plays up before they even begin
1: quinn and williams started as a defensive end i'm pretty sure yeah and
0: he, uh he move around
1: yeah and he's he moved and then uh and i've, I've told this you know, anecdote on the on the podcast before, but and then all of a sudden he uh, he sheds a whole bunch of weight between the end of the regular season and the Orange Bowl because he knows he's going to be chasing around Kyler Murray. The guy averages about uh, a one and a half tackles for, per loss, tackles for loss per game. I mean, he's I, I how about this? Uh, I would take Quinnen Williams over Josh Allen. I
0: would, too. I,
1: would, I don't know say, if
2: he'll go for him. I would take Quinn and Williams probably over everybody not named Kyler Murray. Like I, I think I'm on the Kyler Murray train, um, and I would take Quinn and Williams over everyone else. Over Bosa, I would. I, I think I would. I mean, and that's not a, and that's not a knock on Bosa. I just look why we like Quinn and Williams just had one of the most dominating defensive line seasons we've ever seen, and not that the Joey Bosa isn't as, as you know when Joey Bosa was healthy, he was dominant too, but. I, I just man, I think Quinn and and, and Quinn and Williams doesn't even have like the maxed out Alabama vibe because he's he's only started one year. Right, um,
1: right, right, right. Push
2: legs. Yeah. So I, I just think Quinn and Williams is is he, he's kind of getting under under sold even as a potential top three pick. Yeah, no, I I think
0: overall talent wise, I think I would have Williams ahead of both. So I would have Williams ahead of Allen. But like I said, it's going to come down to what is, especially the way we see earlier in drafts now, it's like the top five of the NFL draft is basically devolved into three positions. Quarterback, pass rusher, or offensive tackle. Because that's just the way the sport is going. And I feel like those are the three positions that unless you play one of those three, you're going to have a hard time getting drafted in the top five unless you're a superlative player. And I think Quinnen Williams is a superlative player. I think, you know, depending on how things break down, I... I wouldn't be shocked if he goes you know, at number three to the Jets or at number two or number one, depending on how things go. I feel like at the end of the day, as we get closer to the draft and more teams work him out and get a look at him, he's probably going to become that guy that's all of a sudden, hey, he's a top five pick to, hey, this, this dude might be the number one pick.
1: Love Quinnen Williams.
0: So I've got two
2: more strength coach awards. All right.
1: Oh yeah. So and since
2: we talk about Scott
1: Cochran and uh, Quinn Williams, I mean since we talk about Alabama, we got to give a shout out to
2: Scott Cochran. That's right. Even though this wasn't even Alabama's best combine, no, this I a a little bit of a down combine for Alabama. Correct. From a, but that's a because everyone's
1: coming back. That's because they're going to have the most talented Alabama roster in program history next year.
2: Yeah, next year's combine should be uh, scary for Alabama. Uh, um, but. Let's give a golden dumbbell to Chris Doyle at Iowa, and he's he can sort of he can uh, guild his own golden dumbbell with his pay. I think he's still the highest paid strength coach in college football, or one of the top two or three, anyways. But he earns his paycheck. Um, not only I mean, Noah Fant and, and TJ Hawkinson balled out, uh, but they they I mean, Amani Hooker at DB tested really well. I mean, they just they're they're pretty good across the board at Iowa, but, but what they did at tight end and Amani hooker. I mean, those are the ones that really jumped out at me. Um, so I think Iowa is, gets, gets a shout out and Boston college gets a shout out. Always. And, um, that I mean, that's, that's one of those is like, you look at the names and you look at who they're recruiting and they're not getting the freaks. And yet they got a bunch of guys at the top of the list. Um, not only an offensive line, but the defensive back defensive line, those guys came in and, and and really repped it. And so BC and their former strength coach, Frank Perrano, and if you're a Titans fan, you should be excited about this because he was just hired this offseason as the new Titans strength and conditioning coach. So um, Frank Perrano, I think, was, was, was one that really, I, I, I thought, killed it with the way he developed that group.
1: Boston College and Iowa. You just basically mentioned the two programs that just get NFL scouts and NFL assistants just rock hard.
0: I love Iowa so much.
1: <laughs> all right, um, we've thrown his name around, and if and if we mention it again without unpacking much, then uh, I think he's going to show up in all five foot ten inches of his glory behind me. Uh, Kyler Murray. We have officially decided that, uh, as a matter of our own personal AP style. We're throwing out the eighth of an inch. He's five ten. It was a, it was an executive decision that was made. So the five ten Kyler Murray, you know, he goes through the uh, the combine process, does not participate in all the quarterback activities. How now he's going to continue to just get picked apart left and right, Barton. Uh, I'll I'll let you lead on this one. You say that you're in, and and I will say that I'm in. But I will admit that it's not as much for football reasons as it is for fun. That I really, really enjoy watching Kyler Murray play, and if he's given the green light and the tools of the Cliff Kingsbury offense, I think that that makes for you know as intriguing of a of a disruption as there's going to be in terms of going from the college game to the pro game. But my paycheck doesn't determine it. You know, are are you all the way in beyond just almost being a fan? of Kyler Murray and his brand of football?
2: All right, so the new, um, I think that the the thing to sort of discuss here, obviously the new information on Kyler Murray is the Charlie Casserly quote that he spoke to people that interviewed him and said it was one of the worst returns on a highly regarded, quarterback that he's ever heard in terms of how the interview process went. Uh, Bad work ethic, bad persona, bad on the board, bad on the whiteboard. Um, Obviously, since then, you know, Charlie Casterly's taken all this heat. Lincoln Riley came to Kyler Murray's defense. His agent came to Kyler Murray's defense. Whatever. Um, I, I, I don't know. Knock Charlie Casterly for the, the report. Like it's sort of annoying. Like I, I hate it when people are I'm glad I'm not Charlie Casserly with that information out here getting just eviscerated. But it's not Charlie Casterly saying it. He's just passing on what teams are saying. And if you want to knock the teams if you don't knock the anonymous source process, fine. But like, like no one's gonna say that on the record. All right. So they're they're saying that off the record because and and perhaps they have a a motive. Like perhaps they wanna his stock the drop so they got a shot at drafting him. Like, I don't know. But either way I don't think Charlie Castley's making that up. That said, if you are passing on Kyler Murray based on what his persona was in an interview, you you just you're wrong. You might be right that you should pass on him, but you're wrong on the reasoning because this is like this is a classic example of, of overthinking things from a from an evaluation standpoint. Baker Mayfield last year, and hey, he's one year in. Maybe he'll he'll you know sink and and crash and burn but one year in it looks like it was a good pick a number one and baker mayfield can be a prick and i talked to i talked to people last year that that interviewed baker mayfield that that's had that there's mixed reviews from nfl people i talked to on baker mayfield with the sort of a he kind of comes off as a prick and sort of that that was the rhetoric like i don't know like he's he's confident but it's almost it's almost a turnoff. It's like, okay, well, what do you want out of your number one player? Like, if you're the best player in the country, there's going to be a prick quality. Aaron Rodgers is notoriously a prick. Um, all these guys that are great, are no- Tom Brady is is a total freak show. Like, just in terms of hit the way, like his competitive nature makes him just like a weird dude. You know, based on that, like that, there's going to be like, quirks to these guys. And, and I think the cool thing about the evaluation process now is because. High school is similar to college, and college is similar to the NFL in terms of the the scheme they use for the first time in in maybe forever. I don't know. But things translate well. And Kyler Murray has – like if you're betting against Kyler Murray, you're betting against a guy that has won at at every level and everything he's ever done since he's been alive. Like, and so in in fifteen minutes, if like he didn't look you in the eye, or if he, he mumbled a little bit, or if he was you know wasn't yes or no, sir, and you okay, like suck it up because the guy has done nothing but win his entire
0: athletic life. He and so, dominated the Candyland games as a child.
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> like he probably dominated everything he's ever done, and so I, I just think it's. Uh, you know I, I i take i like to take the opportunity to say that's you know you're you're just you're
0: looking at the wrong stuff if, if you're worried about that i like to call it moxie
1: <laughs> moxie mayfield
0: yeah you know the, 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 I, when it comes to my quarterback i i want some of that prickishness because you know, yeah it it helps in that role in that position that you are with what you're with what you're asked to do for your team i want somebody who's kind of you know Moxie ish. <laughs> so.
1: Am I am I wrong to think that like Kyler Murray really just he might have this this deeply rooted belief that um all of this like dog and pony show is all meaningless. Like the cause I I remember there was a someone pointed out when the interview with Dan Patrick, which you know went viral, it wasn't it was considered not a very good performance i guess by kyler murray in non-answering whether or not he was going to go to spring training or whether he was going to be in the nfl draft but he he was there for gatorade and they kept showing his father behind the scenes wearing like a Gatorade backpack and his dad was laughing. He was not concerned at all. And someone said, it was like um, when, when your son is taking the interview, but you've already secured the Gatorade bag. So it doesn't matter. Like what if, (laughs) like what if the money has been made both literally and figuratively like Kyler Murray and his father say, I'm going to be, you know, a top five pick no matter what happens in this interview process or no matter what happens at pro day no matter you know what happens along the way what what's done is done we have secured the marketing money we have secured the the draft status and that for kyler who was not considered at all you know part of this process and then all of a sudden has been thrust into the opportunity i could see him having a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and having a little bit of a i don't need your approval attitude and based on his experience you know come in as a 42 and O in as a high school starter, multiple Texas state championships. Then all of a sudden life doesn't go the way that you had planned or the way that you had dreamed at Texas a and M you find yourself as a, you know, Baker Mayfield's backup. Then it explodes. I, I totally am going to understand. And how about this? I'm, I'm totally going to understand that. And if Jalen hurts wins a Heisman trophy and all of a sudden becomes a first round draft pick, I wouldn't blame Jalen hurts if he uh, has a little chip on his shoulder too, when he goes to the dog and pony show.
2: Um, Daniel Jeremiah told a great, I think, I think this is Daniel Jeremiah that told the story on broadcast at one point about um, Quentin Nelson, not running his 40 yard dash. And at one point coach, you know, at at his pro day, some scout came up to him and said, Hey man, if you don't run your 40, we can't draft you. And Quentin said, all right, like uh, (laughs) turn on the film where, where where I'm, you know, dragging people, (laughs) <laughs> and 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 tell me why you're not gonna like uh, have fun playing me, and it's like, oh oh, just you know, so all, all of a sudden because Quentin Nelson wasn't like oh yes sir yes sir okay I'll be right up sir yep here I go like like that makes him a better player, Kyler Murray, if anybody knows how good Kyler Murray is it's Kyler Murray Kyler Murray Kyler yes. Murray is the one that every time he picks up a ball of any sort he he. Crushes you, <laughs> and so Kyler Murray sitting here being like, "I gotta go walk." Like he probably knows Cliff Kingsbury is gonna draft him at this point. You right, know what I mean? Right, like right, right. He, he he knows he's going number one and getting twenty five million. I don't know what they get paid, but like, and he's got to go walk around and 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 you know play this trade or he goes in these fifteen interviews for fifteen minutes. So it's you know I, who cares? Like he like that's gonna be your leader, and he's gonna lead by. Winning and by being really good at what he does and if you think he's doesn't you know Isn't willing to put in the work like he's been putting in two a days for the last Four years of his life playing two sports year-round
0: like I think he will put in the work So that's the thing like you mentioned like he think he knows he's gonna be drafted I honestly think that's part that's part of the reason why I think he's gonna go number one is because I don't think Kyler Murray just blatantly says screw baseball And then says, I'm not going to do anything at the combine besides, you know, you can measure me, but I'm not doing any of the drills. Unless he knows he's gotten assurance, maybe not number one, but he's gotten assurance from somebody of where he's going to go. Like he knows he's not falling past a certain spot. Like maybe Miami said, Listen, if you're there at number 13, there's no way in the world we're not drafting you. So when he knows that as a fact, he says, Okay, well, I know I don't need baseball anymore because I know what the money's gonna be, and I don't need to go to the combine to do all this because if I've already been told that the teams will take me, all I could do is hurt myself by doing any of these drills. So I mean, I I, I don't care about interviews. My only thing with interviews is if the player has absolutely no idea, if like I'm watching film or tape with him and he has absolutely no idea what we're watching, you know what I mean? If he can't tell me what's going on, that's a concern, but even that's only to a certain extent. And it's just going back to the Quentin Nelson story, I love the idea that there was an NFL team who was like, we can't draft this guard unless we know how fast he <laughs> runs the 40.
1: How fast he runs a
0: distance of forty yards? <laughs> Can you imagine if that's if that was really if that if that Scott was being serious and says we can't draft you unless you run the forty? Like, what are you evaluating in your guards? I mean, so I'm here to
2: pull, but it's like it, here, here's what I'm here's what I will allow. What I'm what I'm hopeful is that 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 was secretly a test and that team really wanted to draft him, but they're going to send a scout over there and say, Hey, uh, we need you to run this 40 in order for us to draft you. And if he had said, Oh yes, sir. Okay. Here I go. I'll run it. Then he would have failed the test. But the fact that he said, uh, beat it geek, uh, I'm not doing anything <laughs> is like, all right, all right. I hope that, I think that was the Colts that said that right? yeah. <laughs> so he said, geek. I'm not going to test. Like that's why they drafted them.
0: So, and it- uh, if he picked up the geek and then slammed him in a garbage can, he would have gone number one overall.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
2: so, I, another, another uh, rant that I would like to go on here is speaking of Moxie, uh, Moxie McSorley uh, was, I guess, asked to work out of different positions along with Nick Fitzgerald, along with Ed Oliver, along with some others. And, like, you know, there was like a Deadspin snarky headline of like, we um, back." Deadspin oh. with a snarky <laughs> yeah. headline. Yeah, it's so annoying. Like the Deadspin's gotten so annoying. It's just like this, like let's go. Just, so you, dude. Yeah. Don't get me yeah. going. Yeah. So, anyways, well, that, that's a different day. A different day, but but they it embodied this idea that it's it's so insulting. For anyone to be asked to work out at a different position, it's like, and and I don't look if, if Trace McSorley doesn't work, work work at a DB, that's that's fine. Like I don't I, that, I don't hold that against him. Like that's a decision, that's fine. I, but the idea that you're, it's an insult to even ask, is ridiculous. Trace McSorley is is a kind of a noodle arm. Like he just doesn't have a big arm. I think Trace McSorley would tell you he doesn't have a big arm. He's probably not going to ever be a you know maybe he starts. A season, maybe he starts a few games. I don't know, but he's probably never going to be a long-term starter. You know, maybe I eat these words. I, we no one knows, but that's the vibe, and certainly that's what the team thinks that asked him to work out. And, and so, what's his decision? Like, does he say no and say, you know what, I'm fine playing quarterback, and if I'm just a, a career backup and and I'm a Kellen Moore, then that, that I, I can live with that. But the guy played played DB in high school. He had nine interceptions in his high school career. He was first team All State in high school as a senior at defensive back. He was a he ran a four five seven in the forty. He had good short shuttle and three cone testing stuff. Like he is capable of being a pretty good DB, I bet. And and so you know the the, the Super Bowl MVP this year played quarterback in college. And he played receiver in the Super Bowl and got the Super Bowl MVP in and Julian. And so, like, I, you know, Ed Oliver was asked to work out a linebacker. That's not an insult. No. Lamar Jackson was asked to work out a receiver last year. He is he is good enough to be a great quarterback in the NFL. But that someone wanted to see him at receiver isn't an insult. It's just what they want to see, and it's not a big deal. And, like, I hate it when this always turns into this big thing. Yeah, okay, they can, they can decline, and that's all good. But – it doesn't mean that they couldn't potentially be really good at another position and some team doesn't like them at the current position. Like, it's all okay. We don't all have to be offended
0: by it. There you go. Here, Trace McSorley's top 10 mock draftable comps based on athlete, not not based on position. You ready? hmm Running back. Running back. Cornerback. Running back. Running back. Safety. Wide receiver. Safety. Linebacker, wide receiver, not a single c- comp to a QB in his top ten. Is he similar to from what he tested and measured at? Yeah. And the top running back, by the way, who he's ninety nine percent compatible with, Sony Michelle. How about <laughs> it? Just because you played a position in college doesn't mean you are pegged to that position for the rest of your life. Nor does it mean you can't play other positions. If you're Trace McSorley. And if you want to play in the NFL and the NFL saying we'd rather have you here, that's not an insult to you. It's just saying we think you could be more valuable here than there.
1: What an open minded podcast. The cover three really believe in in position fluid lifestyles.
0: Hey, man, that's (laughs) that's what it is. That's where the game's going. You got hybrids all over the dang place.
1: It's the it's the positionless football. There's nothing wrong with
0: that. No, we put your player in the position where they can help you the most. That's all it is. Do y'all remember Nick yeah.
1: Saban had two quarterbacks out there on the field together
2: in a playoff game? Yeah. Mm. It's not personal. It's not Just personal. Trying to win games. <laughs> trying to give you a chance to make more money and have a long successful career. It's all yeah, good. Goodness. Hey, hey
0: Trace, you have a chance to maybe make you know thirty million as a safety, or maybe not maybe play a year or two as a backup and then be out of the league.
2: What do you, (laughs) and you know what? Like if trace McSorley wants to say, you know what, that's, that's more, that's more concussion exposure than I'm willing to take. I'm good. I'm going to go do this quarterback thing for a year
0: and, uh, and maybe get into coaching. Like, Hey, that's okay too. Nothing wrong with that either. Nothing wrong with asking. Nothing wrong with saying no.
1: There you go. I mean, uh, Joe Moorhead will take him as a quality control assistant tomorrow. absolutely! Uh, anything else from our combine notebooks that we want to get out here?
2: Um, bizarre, b- bizarre trend that I didn't expect to see was Georgia guys just flunking the combine. Mm. Like if you go to um Sigmaathlete.com, which is a it's a site that's Tracks the, the testing numbers for the guys and they they spit it. They calculate like a spark rating, like a um, basically a sort of a, an overall collection rating of like what your what your testing numbers told you as far as how athletic you are. Um, and some and not and not if you don't do enough of, or if you don't do enough of the workouts, you don't have enough of the scores like you. So it doesn't necessarily rate every guy that was there, but the guys that did enough to sort of register a rating. Um and you don't even have to like look at this, it just like punches you in the face when you position by position. So Elijah Holyfield was twenty third out of the twenty three running backs that registered a rating. Hey. Uh a wide receiver. He was the slowest non fullback to run, four seven eight. Lowest second lowest vertical, 29 and a half. Just kind of bizarre. Uh wide receiver. Uh, they had the thirty-first and thirty-second lowest testers of the thirty-eight testing. Your the 38 boy, eight, Riley Ridley, including Riley Ridley. Um, you know, Miko Hardman I think was better, um, but Terry Godwin wasn't very good either. He was thirty-first, and Ridley was thirty-second. Tight end Isaac Nada, twenty-third of twenty-third uh, relative to other um, NFL players in the NFL. So not just like your typical population, not not just your combine population, but in actual NFL players, he would be in the, the 1.5th percentile of athlete. Um uh, uh Jonathan Ledbetter for Edge 25th of 25 0.5 percentile of, so it's just it was just a weird deal and it made me wonder whether these guys so like that wasn't a good look for their program but it also made me wonder if these guys are just I mean I don't I don't know why Isaac Nato would get drafted. I don't know why Elijah Holyfield would get drafted. It made me wonder if these guys are just like almost looking up around them and being like, I don't know how much more burn I'm gonna get next year with the way Georgia's recruiting. Um, I almost wonder if there's like, you know what, like I'm just go try to get this money now because I'm not sure my stock's getting any higher with the guys I gotta compete for for snaps with. But it was just a surprising trend to see those guys not test well
1: does that come back with a knock on strength and conditioning program under kirby smart
2: no i mean it's not like if i mean you're
1: because it sounds like you believe that it is just that they the players themselves who happen to be at the combine from the university of georgia just aren't as good as you might expect
2: right like that could be it i mean it's definitely not i don't know it's not not a good look but I don't know what to make of it. I, ju- I guess I think you just gotta wait and sort of see if there's a trend. But I mean, that was just it, w- it was just startling. Like it wasn't even something you had to sort of look for. All right, let me check see how the Georgia guys did. It was just like all right, as you're looking at the the, the rankings of the testing results, the bottom of the list, every list is a Georgia guy. It's like that's bizarre. Well, it's also so, bizarre because um, Georg-
1: Georgia is one of those like four or five teams that if you're standing on the field during warmups, you're like, good gracious. Like one of yeah. the like Georgia is one of the four or five most physically imposing teams in the country, and so to have right. Georgia prospect Georgia players as NFL prospects not testing well, I can understand why that's startling.
2: But I mean, like like I said, I mean we didn't expect any of those guys to blow the combine up. But I don't know. I mean, we didn't expect Miles Boykin to blow it up either. Um, so I don't know. It's just a something to something to keep an eye on. Anything uh, else? forward. I, I thought. Uh, uh, speaking of guys like Alex Barnes, slow 40 time, everyone, you know, everyone watches the 40. That's the prime time event. Kansas state running back. Um, he was like the second most athletic guy at the running back position of anybody when you factor in all the other testing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all, I saw Kansas, I saw Kansas
1: state fans it. talking about how frustrated they were that Alex Barnes didn't get more touches.
2: Yeah. Um, I could be that, um, but that's about all I got. It was, it was, you know, I could, I could, I keep talking, but I got, I got, I got to shut up about the combine nerd stuff eventually.
1: Tom,
0: uh, I will say, in Isaac Nada's defense, he was one of the five tight ends that actually knew the technique for blocking.
1: Damn right he does. <laughs> you don't, you don't have Jim Chaney and Sam Pittman in your life, even for just one season, and uh, not figure that out.
0: No, he had those, he had those necks bent in and driving. (laughs) Yes. They weren't going 45 degrees like the other guys.
1: What do I, Tom, anything else from your notebook?
0: Uh, no, not, nothing that we haven't really touched on or covered already.
1: All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get a chance to get back into it. Barton, where were you? Uh, I felt like you were watching workouts too. You've, you've just been in a really good scouting mode right now.
2: Oh, I was, um, I was at a, I was at a camp. this is sort of camping for like Sunday. I'm going to camp this Sun next Sunday as well. I um, also got a camp coming up Amsterdam,
0: That's the right. Netherlands,
2: in uh, in, a, in about two weeks, two or three weeks. Uh, so it's it's camping combine season on on both fronts.
1: Uh, catch up. Follow. Barton on his uh, on his camp journey by following him on Twitter. He's always got uh, good updates from wherever he's at, good observations from twenty twenty prospects, and and soon from uh, from the prospects across the pond. You can do that on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow Tom and jump in his mentions and yell at him for uh, either LeBron things or Big Ten commissioner takes at Tom Fernelli is how you're going to be able to do that. I'm at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, nice comments, five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and gentlemen did you know that we're on spotify now
0: no the cover no.
1: three podcasts available on spotify so if uh if that's one of your preferred forms of podcast listening uh, then check it out it's the exact same episode that you can get on apple podcast stitcher radio or anywhere else uh gentlemen thank you very much
0: thank you, thank you.